So I'm thinking I could use a partner. You up for that? I don't know. I don't know anything about being a detective. Yeah, there's nothing to it. Now, this being the 90s, you can't just walk up to a guy and smack him in the face. You gotta say something cool first, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, uh, I'll be back. Yeah, only better than that. Like, if you hit him with a surfboard, you would say, Surf's up, pal. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> so what else? Well, there's not much more to tell than that. Water's wet, the sky's blue. An old Satan clothes, Jimmy, he's out there. And he's just getting stronger. So what do we do about that? Be prepared, son. That's my motto. Be prepared. That was Bruce Willis and Damon Wayans talking about being noiry private detectives and action heroes in 1991's The Last Boy Scout. This week we review a film that's trying to be a spiritual successor to The Last Boy Scout in terms of it being a buddy-buddy noir throwback. I'm talking about Spencer Confidential starring Mark Wahlberg, which was released on Netflix this Friday Gone. We don't know what we're doing, we're just talking about movies. Welcome to Cellcast. You begin to interest me, vaguely. Yeah, I'm a private dick on a case. Perhaps I'm asking too much, although it doesn't seem too much to me, somehow. So this week, we've watched Spencer Confidential, the new release on Netflix. Sam, do you want to tell us what it's about? Spencer, a Boston cop, is released from prison after serving five years for assaulting his police captain, John Boylan, over a domestic abuse issue. Spencer tries to leave his past behind, but is dragged back into it after the murder of Boylan and another cop, Terence Graham. Spencer then uncovers a world full of cricket cops, murder squads, and collusion with Mexican street gangs. Or, in a haiku, ex-cop imprisoned, free, must solve conspiracy, punches way to truth. And here's a clip. It's time you tell me what's really going on here. Picture this. Dirty cops, drug cartels, some big politicians all working together. When I was a cop, I was trying to take these guys down. But they framed me. So what's the plan? We're going to blow this wide open. You want in? No, 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 no. You don't get the cold gun. Hawk is the name of a man with a shotgun. Spencer does your taxes. That was good. I'm going to let you have your little gun. So this is the latest collaboration between Peter Berg and Mark Wahlberg. It's it's their fifth one, I think. It's their fifth one after uh, Mile Twenty Two, Petrus Day, Deepwater Horizon, and Lone Survivor in reverse order. Oh, fucking Mile Twenty Two is so bad. But I think this could be worse. The reason I picked this and I take full responsibility for this is because. We're, we want to review new releases, um, and there's not really, there's not as much in the cinemas this week we could go to, but we thought we'd also try a, a change of pace by going to Netflix and reviewing a new release on Netflix, because that's one of the ways everyone's absorbing films now. You know, Netflix is like the the new VHS rental shops, right? And maybe it made me think back to the halcyon days of VHS rental shops where I'd go in there seeing action blockbuster that I'd never seen before and rent that and have a have a really good time and that's what I was hoping for but I didn't because this is this is terrible this is like the the word I'd used to describe this is lazy like it's it's it feels like Mark Wahlberg and Peter Berg kind of get together and Mark Wahlberg kind of weaves a wish fulfillment fantasy for himself and then they just try and work out the lowest cost, lowest effort way that they can put that on the screen 
and then sort of go about doing that and then just sort of shit out this like the basic form of a movie and then deliver it to people hoping that no one really watches too closely or anyone's really that interested in anything hoping that people are just really watching these films just kind of fill space in between other things that they're doing in their lives and that the fact that Mark Wahlberg's there with a Boston accent sort of punching people and there's a a vague idea of something going on and they hope that's basically going to fill the time. Yeah, I think unambitious is the other word that um, you could use for it and I think what they've tried to go for is like a sort of Friday night action film which sort of ticks all the boxes, has a few fight scenes in it and then everyone just moves on and forgets about it. And I think for, I'd say Mark Wahlberg's an A-lister and I think Peter Berg's quite a high-profile director considering he's always given a lot of money to make his films. So I think for them to collaborate on this, you know, for the fifth time, I'm a bit disappointed that they didn't try to make something a little bit more unique. It comes from a series of novels based around some of these characters and a TV show that was relatively well-known in certain circles. I think if you were probably of a certain age mm. in the 80s, you might recognise this, like some of these characters. But the core of it is like a kind of film noir thing, where it's, you know, the underbelly of society, there's kind of moral grey areas everywhere. Um, corruption in the public sector. Corruption in the public sector, and, you know, a, you know, a, a kind of private investigator trying to, like, dig stuff out and, and sort stuff out, right? But if you can imagine a film noir that has been sapped of all its stylistic quality, all the things that make those kind of things interesting to watch. So a script that's completely like flat and uninteresting, and they kind of try and fill it with charisma or something between people that just isn't there. Uh, like n- no one has charisma between one another. Nothing anyone says is ever like cool or interesting. In fact, it's it's like baffling. There's like there's this one moment where Mark Wahlberg tells a story of um, a girl who was being harassed and ended up getting killed. And in the midst of it, her cat gets killed. So so, she, so a character says, um, after hearing that story, so that fucker killed a cat? And then there's like a beat where it's like, oh, and you're supposed to take from that as the audience, like, oh, the one thing that this guy focused on was like a cat dying. And then another character after that beat says... So the cat is what you're taking away from that? And it's like, they, they they couldn't think of anything to fill that space other than just just basically just yelling at the audience. That's what just happened in the last line. I, I, I don't know, like, it, it's filled with moments like that of, of, like, baffling exposition or things that they think are cool. But actually, it's just like, again, it's like, it's like they think, oh, this is the part where someone says something fun or interesting. And then they get to that moment and no one says anything fun or interesting. So they just go, oh, it doesn't really matter. Let's just move on to the next scene. We'll just we'll just hope that at some point the magic like happens and then it never does. I guess like the most interesting like part of the film before you've seen it is the fact that it's sort of co-written by, by Brian Helgland, who co-wrote LA Confidential, hence why it's called Spencer, Spencer Confidential. Confidential. Do you really think that's the only reason why it's been called Spencer Confidential? I think so, because I just think it must be... I mean, you've talked about the ode to film noir. Right. And I think it is a bit of a, a, a film that wants to be a bit of a hybrid between an action film and a film noir. But yeah, it never really convinces on either, to be honest. I'm sort of like... I just was left feeling a little bit confused. And, 
And again, like we return to that sort of idea of it being so lazy that it has these perhaps aspirations. It tries to tell us this like really sort of complicated and interesting plot about you know police corruption and you know cooking crops at the you know the top of the food chain and and actually it's just I think in the end it just wants to be a bit more of a like a schlocky action film. But but like for it to do that. To, to have aspirations, someone would need to put effort in. Mm. Nobody's put effort in. Like, it, everything is so... Like, right, film noir, okay? So, at one point, he's investigating a, a crime. So he makes notes down on a notepad, right? He, he finds out that a, that a character has lied. So he writes down on the notepad, Driscoll lied, <laughs> as if he's going to forget that part, that thing that he's looking into. Like, d- does he need to write that down? What, why, why does he need that right to write that down? It, why, does, why do we need to communicate to the audience? They've had several sequences showing before. A whole, there's been a whole scene to show that this character lied. But they feel the need to, to either show that, that, that Spencer, Mark Warburg, is so pig-headed he's going to forget that one of these characters lied to him. Or that the audience doesn't get <laughs> that this character has just lied. Yeah, that is like that. I mean, that is like an example of the script literally spoon feeding the story to the audience, and it's just—it's just so unnecessary. I think. Do, the, do they think we're just not concentrating? Is that what? Because because this film again, it seems like everyone's putting in the minimum amount of effort. Is it because they think the audience is going to put in the minimum amount of effort? Is this the kind of thing that gets released on Netflix now? That you just go, that you just go. Oh well, we know that this is going to be on the background yeah, on, yeah. A, on a Sunday afternoon, and no one's going to give a shit. It's Mark Wahlberg, and occasionally someone gets punched, and not very well as well. Because actually, that's the other thing. I mean, oh like, god, the action's just terrible. Terrible, yeah. I would say that pretty much every action scene is slow, generic, with soft rock music going over the top of it, <laughs> and it's just like it's just pathetic. It's like there's no, oh god, there's it's, no it's, style in it. No style at all. It's 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 punch, punch, different shot, punch, tackle, punch, punch. Yeah. The, the the fight sequences end, and you go. Oh, was that it? Because I was waiting for the exciting bit. Netflix have released a whole promotional video that's designed to look like a video essay. Have about they really? the, uh, yeah, they have about the way to throw a perfect punch in a movie, and it's like, like, like the action sequences are as lackluster as everything else in this movie. And, and there's a, there's a whole subplot about him teaching like a character boxing again. Whether that's supposed to be like something about the old school. Or something and joining with the new school whatever it is it never translates into a sequence where i was like wow that was an awesome like fist fight like, like if they were going to try and bring like some kind of boston street brawling kind of thing into it it never felt like that it just felt like another moment where i'm just switching off so that character that you reference uh, is hawk played by winston duke and he basically when spencer comes out of prison he finds out that he's rooming with this guy because essentially the person that he's staying with, the the father figure in the film, uh, which is Henry, played by Alan Arkin, mm. um, he's sort of you know looking after this guy Hawk, and so there's a bit of a sort of like a bit of a you know the fact that they they hate each other at the beginning of the film and they grow closer. Ooh, as the the film. odd couple, the old couple as it goes on, yeah. And but you know I think obviously Winston Duke's really underusing it, and the character Hawk, his character development is. By the end of the film, he learns how to throw a punch properly. <laughs> oh, do you know what's even more amazing? I, I was, I was, I noticed a bit. I was rewatching a little bit of it to prepare for this. Where he goes, he goes. My dad was like a really, he was a really good guy in the military. You know, 
he we ended up in New Orleans. Uh, you know, he died looking down a, a street that he wasn't supposed to look down. And then Mark Wahlberg goes, "What happened?" And he says. I'm never going to talk about it. I don't ever want to talk about it again. He's like, oh, okay. And it's just like, oh, well, that would have been good. I would have liked to know more about this guy mm. here. Like, oh, but you're just not going to bother or more, more likely try and save it for a sequel. Spoiler yeah. alert, it's not going to happen. But the arrogance, arrogance of that, the arrogance of that to f- assume that or that there could be some sort of sequel when everyone's so half arsed in this and not really concentrating. Like, I imagine by the end of the film, Peter Berg and Mark Wahlberg are thinking about, you know, what their sit collaboration is going to be because no no one's interested in it. They know that the quality of the film isn't good enough to ever warrant or generate a, a sequel to it. But yeah, there's the final scene is all about them trying to. The, oh, the, yeah. the hint about them, like that Spencer's going to become sort of. Like uh, an investigator of sort of local crimes in Boston, and I love the fact that they did the "here we go again" like ending. And they, but, but the, the thing was, you expect like a kind of a knowing wink to the audience or something that doing a "here we go again" ending is really silly or really stupid in this day and age. They don't even do that. They play it completely straight. It focuses in on Mark Wahlberg's like really serious, concentrating, stupid face. And then it just ends, and we're like, oh, again, another moment where it's like, I don't know if this is serious, I don't know when it's supposed to get exciting, and I'm just left kind of completely empty by it. Like, it's such a massive waste of time. Another sequence that's a great example of this is a dog chasing scene, where he basically, he's chasing after a guy in a car, and then he gets, he gets caught in a garden, and someone's dog attacks him, and then... He pushes the dog off, jumps over the gate, and then the dog gets out again. And then we, the dog gets at him again for another thing. It's like, if, and then the sequence ends, and he's sort of supposed to have like a back and forth with, uh, with the owner of the dog, which is, again, just is not them saying anything. The, the dialogue doesn't really pop or is interesting or anything. But again, it's, it's another one of these moments in the film, these sequences where it's just like, was... Was this supposed to be something? Was this supposed to be doing something? Was was I su- was I supposed to get something out of this? Because it feels like what you're doing is filling time. You are a child writing an essay. You don't want to write. You have set it to double space to make it look like you have written more than you actually have. The, you know, you brought up LA Confidential, right? Because mm. like the main crux of this, right? Spencer is a good cop in a bad world. Right? Yeah. And you, you talked about LA Confidential. It started to make me think about the fact that LA Confidential, uh, one of the main parts about LA Confidential is these, the characters, and that they all have a kind of moral journey. Yeah. Themselves, like the free leads. Uh, we won't tell the whole story of LA Confidential, but essentially there's, there's Ed who is like by the book and believes in clear lines of lawful right and wrong, Bud that believes that the rules can be bent to serve the greater good. And that violence is always necessary and sometimes you just have to be a bad guy in a bad world in order to, to make things right. And Jack that just thinks that morality is foolish and that you've just got to kind of be out for yourself, right? Mm. And, and then, but by the end, all these characters have basically crossed over these lines and completely switched how they view the world. And the, the people that they thought they were have now completely changed. It's a really wonderful journey. For, the, for these characters to go, to go on in L.A. Confidential, right? The same writer wrote this, and his thing in this is that Spencer Goodcop 
other cops bad cops spencer good just good wins over bad in the end there's no gray area there's no penetrating of of anything really to do with spencer is a good thing other than occasionally he like loses his temper but that doesn't ever fit with him being this boy scout everyone says he everyone says he is right it's it, it's so like two-dimensional and so wooden and also just completely unbelievable you know you feel again like this is just really this is just mark Wahlberg, you know being the boss of this film walking in and having this fantasy of i'm the two-fisted super moral good cop coming in and just punching my way to justice like the same guy that wrote this Co-wrote, co-wrote. So maybe, he, I like to think that maybe Brian Helden was, because it was Sean O'Keefe who also wrote okay, it. Okay, right. So I'm maybe like thinking that he was saving an even worse script. You know, he's, he's made it a bad script. Maybe it was like an absolute terrible script before that. But um, obviously you never really know what happens in development. No. Um, okay, yeah, maybe that's true. Yeah, I think, I, I agree, I think, with the fact that Mark Wahlberg's like, clearly like resting on his laurels, really. The fact that it's even set in Boston as well. I mean, I'm not sure whether the original character the original of the book... The original was set in Boston. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I maybe think maybe that's like, what attracted him to the project. But we just see we've just seen Mark Wahlberg play this character so many times, and I just think he has done other films, which I think you know stuff like The Fighter, for example. I mean, like at least there, there's like a little bit more nuance really in his performance and what happened to that character. But you know, I just think you know, yeah, Mark Wahlberg being a you know a, a cop fighting his way through, firing his way to justice. It's while throwing out like witty insults to people yeah that's just him that's just what he wants to that's just what he wants to be yeah and I, yeah and again like i think it's ultimately everyone like everyone in the film is resting on their laurels a little bit i kind of grew up on cheesy action films and i like cheesy action films and i do and i still do right but this is none of that spirit that made any of those like good or engaging it just has no spirit at all. I think that's the problem with it, really. I think, like, I think when I see like a film, an action film that tries to do something a little bit different with the genre, like I always admire, even though if it, if it's a complete failure, I admire it in a way. But I think these action films that are just by the numbers and they just want to create something that the audience doesn't want to think about. I think that's sort of really depressing in a way. Yeah. Um, and actually, like. I'd actually point people in the way into The Kingdom from 2007, which is an action film directed by Peter Berg. And the thing about it is... Save it. We, we haven't got to that segment yet. No, but like, <laughs> I... I've, so it's basically about a team of US government agents sent to investigate the bombing of an American facility in Saudi Arabia. And it was marketed as an action film, but actually it's sort of like more of a post-9-11 thriller about America's influence in the Middle East. And there is something a bit more sort of interesting and complicated going on here than what is happening in Spencer Confidential. And there is actually a limited amount of action right up until the last 20 minutes when you get this set piece which is so well choreographed, loud, chaotic, in, in a sort of good way, and sort of truly unique, which is the hardest trait of any scene within the action film genre. So I know that Peter Berg can reach these sort of levels yeah. in, in his action films and... And it just really doesn't hear. Yeah, the last sequence from The Kingdom is amazing. It's so good. I picked this because, like I say, I think it's the kind of thing that people are going to browse on Netflix, uh, see Mark Wahlberg in, and I think maybe they would put it on and just and just give it a shot. But it is a thoroughly lazy, unambitious piece of work that I feel has been made by everyone to fill space in between 
other projects, I think there is something a little bit depressing when I just look at something and I and I realise that I just don't think anyone actually cares about this at all. I think Marky Mark and Peter Berg like working together and Marky Mark n- knows what he likes and l- knows what he likes doing and they kind of just made something where with the with the lowest possible effort that can kind of tickle those boxes and it's just something that actually just should be completely avoided and if you really want this itch scratch somehow there are lots of movies um, that were made in the, the 80s and the 90s that can scratch this itch a lot better like this is a this kind of filmmaking is the kind of empty soulless filmmaking that the action genre need to get as far away from as possible because it's just killing it it's just it's just killing it there are people out there that can make good action films and interesting action films and if you really and if you really can't be asked you really just shouldn't have bothered that's what i feel coming out of spencer confidential like if you if you if you you just shouldn't have bothered if you couldn't be bothered to put the effort in you're about to walk barefoot to the gates of hell. So, if you like this, you should watch the movie we played a clip from at the beginning of the show, and that's 1991's The Last Boy Scout. Joe Harlenbeck, Bruce Willis, is an ex-bodyguard to the president, now a drunk, down-and-out, bottom-of-the-barrel P.I., who, through a series of crappy circumstances, ends up partnered with disgraced NFL star Jimmy Dix, played by Damon Wayans. Together, they have to solve the murder of Jimmy's girlfriend and a sinister conspiracy at the heart of football. Joe, if we go any faster, we're going to travel back in time. There, middle lane. Okay, you pull up, and I yell at him. What? Pull up next to him, I'll roll my window down and yell at him. That's the lamest fucking plan I ever heard. Can we try it? It's bulletproof glass. They're not going to hear you, you moron. Now what are you doing? I'm drawing them a picture. What is that? It's a bomb. It doesn't look like a bomb. It looks like an apple with lines coming out of it. They're going to say, don't open a briefcase. It's full of fresh fruit. You want to draw the damn thing? If you enjoyed, or at least were looking for, the kind of buddy cop vibes that Spencer Confidential was aiming at, then accept no substitute, the 80s and the 90s were where those things lived. The last Boy Scout might not be the household name Lethal Weapon is, but they share a writer in Shane Black. He's the master of the genre, and like Spencer, he's been channeling noir into his own thing for most of his career, and it's even more prominent in Boy Scout. The dialogue is quick-witted and has a strong pace, but with a few more F-bombs and dirty jokes than Bogart would have said back in his day. Willis is a great action hero, and him and Wayans have great chemistry as they battle henchmen, the powerful and corrupt, and a police department sceptical of the conspiracy they're uncovering all the while falling in and out of friendship that's full of funny digs and comebacks and is far more likeable than Hawk and Spencer. The action is explosive and high-octane in the way 90s action is. Not too over-the-top compared to the 80s, but over-the-top enough that it's a hell of a lot of fun. This is everything Spencer tried to do, but bigger, better, and with the most novel use of a puppet since Kermit first erratically waved his arms. And if you didn't like it, then you should watch the film we talked about at the end of the show, Ellie Confidential. 1950s Los Angeles and the veneer of Tinseltown is under threat as a conspiracy brews around missing heroin and a brutal mass murder. In the middle of it are three cops, Ed Exley, played by Guy Pearce, 
Bud White, played by Russell Crowe, and Jack Vincennes, played by uh, Kevin Spacey. Together they'll become embroiled in a plot that will change them and the city forever. I realize this is difficult. Give your career a rest. Leave her alone. A naked guy with a gun? You expect anyone to believe that? Get the fuck away from me. How's it going to look in your report? It'll look like justice. That's what the man got. Justice. You don't know the meaning of the word, you ignorant bastard. Yeah? Well, you think it means getting your picture in the paper. Why don't you go after criminals for a change instead of cops? Stenzlund got what he deserved, and so will you. The truth is that me and Sam could probably do at least an hour on LA Confidential because it's his favourite film and definitely on my list, but I'll try and keep it short and in relation to Spencer. Spencer channels the noiry energy for a film, which features establishment corruption, but LA Confidential is a noir, meant to make us examine a corruption that was very real. It's a fictional story, but true events are weaved in between, because it's making a case that the golden age of LA was far from golden, Beneath the ideas of fame, luxury, beauty and success lay a world of vice, prejudice and an utterly amoral system. As we discussed, Spencer is a very lazy film with poor development. LA Confidential in comparison is a sprawling and ambitious film with several different brilliant protagonists. Rather than built out of 2D plywood, LA Confidential manages to keep far more plates spinning than Spencer did and with far more satisfying results. Every character goes down a path which is compelling and gripping. Everyone starts their journey as one person and twists and contorts and evolves by the end. It really is beautifully written and performed by all the leads. And if you think this sounds dull as hell, well, LA Confidential has action sequences that are far more thrilling and well-constructed than anything Spencer did. They're tense and powerful and are placed in the story so they work to help tell the story and bring catharsis and payoff. It's another one that isn't a household name anymore, but... Whereas Spencer provided boneheaded morality and a flat, lifeless palette, LA Confidential is a rich, exciting story about how you might not need to make anything great again, as it was always a work in progress. Thank you so much for listening to Cellcast. You can find and subscribe to us on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud as Cellcast. And come follow us on Twitter at Cell Magazine and like us on Facebook.com forward slash Cell Magazine.